the crazy thing about C. Booze is that I remember in high school, Jason, playing with him at the McDonald's All-American game, and we're doing ball handling drills. And I'm looking at him like, why are you doing all the drills the way I'm doing the drills? What the, who are you? What, what is this? That is Duke point guard Jay Williams talking about his teammate, Carlos Boozer. Boozer was 6'9", well over 250 pounds, with soft hands and remarkable skill for a big man. Though Jay Will and senior co-captain Shane Battier were all Americans, many felt that Carlos Boozer was the most indispensable player on the 2001 Duke team, a team loaded with perimeter threats, but short on players to man the post and bang inside. Welcome to Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Men's Basketball National Champions. I'm your host, Jason Evans. I spent dozens of hours talking to the members of the 2001 team about the ups and downs of their season, getting never-before-told stories about what was happening behind the scenes that year. This week on Return to Glory, we're going to talk about what happened when the Blue Devils lost Boozer. And the best way to begin that conversation is with the big fella himself, reflecting on his battles with other ACC big men, especially Maryland center Lonnie Baxter. Talk to me about battling Lonnie Baxter in the post. I mean, the two of you guys. He's an animal. He was you, an guys animal. you guys are huge and yeah, you're we, got, we probably got about, I don't know. Five, six hundred pounds between us. You know what I mean? We got, we, you know, we're bad. We both got, you know, big rear ends. We're both physical. We're strong guys. We're we're the enforcers of our team, but we're also talented. You know, we got soft touch. We can finish inside. Um, we rebound the ball very well. Like Lonnie was a, a Lonnie was a guy that I would I would look at my calendar when the when the schedule came out, and I would circle the calendar when I was going against certain guys. Like Virginia had a guy named Travis Watson. I circled that game. Uh, Carolina had Brendan Haywood. I circled that game. And Maryland had a guy named Lonnie Baxter, and I would circle that game. Those are the three guys I circled every season. And Lonnie was big body, did a great job of what we call ducking in. Like when Ron Dixon had the ball on the wing, he would try to like elbow me and wedge his way in to get in front of me to get position to grab the ball and make a layup or make a move. He was very good at this. He was very good. So, I, that, so basically what happens is I run down the court. I'm trying to do the same thing to him. I, I wrestle on one end with Lonnie, try to battle for position, fight for rebounds, dunk the ball, finish the ball. Then I sprint to the other end and wrestle with Lonnie and fight for a rebound. And it was awesome. And then we did that for 40 minutes. Every time we played, and it was 40 minutes of just – it was a war, and 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 I mean, I respect. It was a, it was it was a battle between two guys. It's like an offensive lineman going into defensive lineman. It was all battling about. We're battling over inches and position. So Lonnie was one of those guys. I got excited. I got up for. I couldn't wait to compete against because he was going to bring the best out of me, and I was going to bring the best out of him. As excited as Carlos Boozer was to play other top tier big men. His teammates were thrilled to have Carlos on their side. His physical presence made life easier for everyone else on the Blue Devil team. Here's freshman guard Chris Duhon. 
the best thing about booze is, you know, one, he was a huge guy. So when he set ball screens, like you go, he, he's going to hit you. <laughs> like it's hard to maneuver around, around that Cebu, you know, the Cebu's that was in league, you know, slammed up a little bit. He was still huge, but this booze had a little bit more weight to him, a little bit of not good weight to him. So, uh, you know, it would hurt a little bit more. But uh, the beauty with C. Booz is that he had amazing hands. Uh, I mean, if you put it some, anywhere near him, you know, 95 percent of the time he's going to catch it. Um, and then he had like the softest touch, uh, you know, around the basket. So, you know, he was our physical guy, uh, which, you know, again, it took take pressure off for Shane of not battling with those guys. And Shane can come from the weak side and block shots and do things that he was so Booze is very, very important for us. It wasn't just the imposing physical size that made Boozer important to Duke. Reserve Ryan Callbeck told me Carlos was probably the most intense guy on the team. You have different personalities when a team works. Everyone can't have the same personality. And that's, you know, if you had 15 chains, 15 Jasons, it just doesn't work. And Carlos's personality, I think, is, is pretty well summed up or was pretty well summed up in the layup lines. In the layup lines, you can, this is before the advent of people having these long, elaborate dance routines with each other. There used to be, is a layup line and you just kind of shake hands or bump fists or whatever. You couldn't do that with Carlos. You could do that with everyone but Carlos. In my entire career at Duke, he was the only player that I remember you could not give him a high five or slap his hand or whatever because he would hit you so hard it felt like it broke your hand. And he wasn't doing it like as a joke or a practical joke. He wasn't doing it that way. He was doing, he was so intense and getting so jazzed up. You know, we had we had one or two guys that would like throw up before a game because they were nervous or whatever, excited, except Carlos took his energy out in the form of like, you extended your hand, you were about to like lose a finger uh, in the layup line. Uh, and I think that that's representative of, of who Carlos was in a really good way. Like he's intense and he wants to win. And um, by the way, like game's over, he's an amazing friend and uh, confidant and uh, just a, a really beautiful person. Um, but in that layup line, stay away from him. All right, enough of the setup. Let's get to the game at the central theme of today's episode. It is Duke's second to last game of the regular season, a matchup with the Maryland Terrapins. Duke was 25 and three and ranked number two in the land. Maryland was still sore from losing the miracle minute game a few weeks earlier. And to add to the drama, this was senior night in Cameron Indoor Stadium, the last home game for Duke's seniors. Here's one of them, co-captain Shane Batty. I don't recall where we were in the standings. Don't, don't I know. Yeah, it, it was close. Maryland was right on our tail, uh, or Carolina was right on our tail. Uh, we had Maryland and Carolina last two games of the year, our two toughest games uh, on the schedule. And look, this is why you come to Duke, to, to play in these big-time games in Cameron. And you know, of course, Cameron was absolutely, absolutely rocking. It was my last, uh, my last game as a senior. I had already 
uh, got my jersey retired at that point, and um, it was my senior night. And you know, you, you would like to maybe have played, uh, you know, Wake Forest or you know, Florida State <laughs> senior night, but we got Maryland. That, that was okay. And uh, so you, I didn't have time really to, to take it in that this was the last time I was playing in Cameron uh, for, for Duke because it was such a, a huge game with, with so many implications, but eh, I kind of like it that way. And um, it was one of those games where it's, Maryland has always played us really, really tough. And uh, it was another battle. They had beaten us in Cameron the year before. Um, and so they had confidence they can come into to Cameron and, and, and beat us. They weren't, they weren't scared by any means. And that's why I think we respected those guys um, a heck of a lot. And they just gave us fits again. And it was one of those games we just, we just couldn't get it going. Duke was struggling. And then the tough game took an even worse turn. Carlos Boozer got hurt. Here's the big man himself recalling those moments. We can't, I can't wait to play him, to be honest. I mean, obviously, like I told you, Playing against Maryland Terrapins was one of those games that all of us, I mean, I, I can probably speak for all my teammates, we all look forward to playing and competing against, you know, that level of competition. And to be honest with you, before I got hurt, I was busting their ass. Like, I felt really good. I had a good game. Like, I felt like, I don't know if I had 16 points or 10 points. I was balling in the first half. And then I come down, I can't remember if it was a rebound or what have you, but I felt a pop in my foot. But it wasn't like a, a, a sprained ankle or it was different. I tried to play through it a little bit, but every time I stepped on it, I felt the pop. So, you know, obviously I, I walk I walk to the end of the bench, come out the game, they take me back to the x-ray room. Uh, we got great doctors, shout out to our doctors. They told me I, I broke, uh, I have a fracture in my foot and I need to get more testing just to find out, you know, how severe the, the fracture is. So, you know, sucks because we're having a great year i'm having a great year individually but our team is really balling and we're, and we're kind of hitting our stride a little bit i think we're number one number two team in the country um we're playing very well and i go down boozer's teammates were rocked by the news that their big man had broken his foot here's chris duhan again i don't remember when it happened, but I, I saw him, you know, kind of limping and I'm thinking he landed on somebody's foot. It's like a twisted ankle. Like, um, you know, I didn't think it was anything serious because it wasn't like he got carried out or, or anything like that. He just kind of limped off and I'm just thinking, oh, you know, he probably twisted his ankle. Um, you know, he'll be back. In my head, I'm thinking he's going to be back at some point in the game. Um, and then when he wasn't, I was just like, oh, thinking, okay, it was a really bad twisted ankle. So, um, you know, he might be out for a couple of days, you know, might not practice this week, but, you know, he'll be ready for Carolina. And then, you know, when coach told us that he broke his foot, then that's kind of when it was like, oh, wow. Like uh, there, in my head, I was like, man, that might be our chances right there. Uh, with, you know, booze being out, like I don't, <laughs> it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be tough for us to overcome that. You know, that's how important he was. Uh, for us on that team. So uh, when that initially happened, I know that hit me hard because, um, I mean, Booze is the best. I mean, everyone loves Booze. And, you know, one, you don't want him to see him be hurt, but also, like, you knew how important he was to this, to our team. So, um, and, you know, it hit me really hard. Everyone was worried. 
even the always confident captain of the team, Shane Batty. Uh, in, in the second half of that game, uh, Carlos Boozer rolled on his foot and had to leave the game. And it, that is when there was a huge balloon that got let, uh, that sort of popped on our, on our sideline uh, because, you know, Booz is such an anchor for our team and our, you know, our big, strong, physical presence inside. And we said, oh man, like, this is not good. This is not good for us. And we lose the game uh, to Maryland in that game. And I, and, uh, I remember walking off Cameron uh, for the last time in the uniform. And I wasn't emotional. I really wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about Carlos. I was thinking about our team. What, 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 does, this, what does this mean? Um, and I tried to, to be a source of strength for our guys. But inside, I was, I was nervous. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't process it like this. <laughs> uh, I couldn't process it in, in, in a proper way. Carlos was the one guy that if, if he got hurt, it would make our jobs really, really, really hard. <laughs> Much tougher than if he was there. More so than any other player there. Uh, we, we had some, some excellent depth, but Carlos was probably the one guy we couldn't replace just, just physically. You know, we, we put in Casey Sanders and, and, and Reggie Love, which, which became a great story. Um, something about having uh, your, your – your your oak tree down down low to, to stabilize things because Carlos was he was a stabilizer for us um and so it was a scary proposition absolutely when when we found out he broke his foot the mood in the locker room well let's just say the team was far from confident they could win without Carlos here's reserve guard Andre Buckner I remember feeling like man this, this season is over you know I, I didn't think we could go very far without Lowe's you know I just didn't you know, as deep as we were inside, it's just the, the things that he brought to the team and, and the things it did, it just, we had no one that could that could spell that. And the Duke seniors felt an extra sting because they had played their last game in Cameron and it ended with a loss. Co-captain J.D. Simpson reflected on those moments. Senior night against Maryland. I think I was mostly just pissed off that it wasn't senior night versus Carolina because every other it alternated every year, right? So, um, it, you know, Maryland was like I said, Maryland was intense. So um, to play them on senior night, you know, really was I would say I mean, it was an honor. I mean, I, that's better than you know playing someone that we had had beaten every time, right? I mean, we, we were going to have a big game again, obviously in Cameron was probably a night game. Like it was going to be, it was going to be rolling in Cameron. And that was an era where, where we didn't have quite as much like AV and, and theatrics around um, what happens in the gym. So it was, it was going to be people going crazy for, for, you know, two hours and 15 minutes. So, um, but I remember after that game um, and, you know, it'd be interesting uh, you know, the seniors come out afterwards and say something. And that was hard because because Shane and Nate and I had to come out and, and, and Ryan had to come out and say something to the fans after we lost. Um, and I think I remember saying something like, you know, this isn't going to happen again. Fellow senior Ryan Kaldbeck kept a journal of that season. He looked back on what he wrote about losing on senior night. People should remember, like, this was my journal, right? And so when you write a journal, it tends to be fairly self-absorbed. Uh, self 
I wrote uh, that it was really sad. Um, but frankly, there was also a big section about how it was also sad that we lost the game. It was the seniors last game in Cameron. And so what I included was like a lot of language from other players who came up to me and came up to other seniors saying like, I'm, I'm really sorry we didn't win that for you. Um, and some really, really touching moments. Um, I wrote down like Dante grabbed me and hugged me and said, you know, Ryle, I'll really miss you. And, um, you know, seriously, you know what? I will really, really miss you. And that's like a really touching thing from a guy. You, yeah, we played a lot of practical jokes together, but also like a guy I really respect and, and cared for. Okay, so Carlos Boozer's foot is broken. The team has suffered a crushing loss on senior night. And the players who were once confident of their path are now very uncertain how the rest of the season will go. There's no question the team's hopes of achieving great things were in serious jeopardy. But they had an ace up their sleeve, Coach K, one of the greatest tacticians and motivators in sports history. Strap in, because here's Shane Battier taking us through what happened next. Well, it was it was a pretty somber locker room after after that game. And again, it was my last game in Cameron. Um, went home to my apartment next the next day, and, and Coach K called like an 8 a.m. practice, um, which is never fun, right? And so we show up to practice that day. Obviously, we're all just stunned at the news of Carlos, and we just we just go through the motions and. It's bad practice. We're not concentrating. We're not communicating. We're not playing with energy. But coach, uh, coach kicked us out of uh, practice. He said, "You guys don't want to play? All right, I don't want to coach you. Get the, you know, get the heck out of my gym." And and so and come back, come back when you're ready to practice. So I, Nate and I and J.D. Simpson, who's who's part of this, our, our senior captain, um, we took everybody in the locker room, and that's when I got I got pretty emotional. I got pretty emotional at, at that point because I understood the implications of, of where we were in the season. And I didn't know if I only had three games left in my Duke career. Obviously I came back to Duke my senior year and to win a championship and, and to check, you know, check all the boxes on my, on my career goal list. Um, and I got really emotional and started crying and yelling and throwing chairs. And I said, you guys don't understand. Like you guys have more time. Nate, JD, and I, we have, we have very little time left. We could conceivably go to Carolina and get our butts kicked. We could lose in the first round of the ACC tournament without Carlos, and we could be upset by a 16 seed in the tournament. First ever. I mean, that was a, a real fear. That was a real fear. And I said, I, I'm not going out like that. I'm not going out like that. And it meant so much to me. And, and Nate was a little more calm than I was. But I was, you know, I wasn't down. I wasn't doubting. Uh, but I definitely uh, did not feel confident, and you know we all sort of agreed uh, to let's say let's let's go out and let's let's do something special. You know we're not we're not one player dependent. Um, let's go do what we do. And so coach brought us out back to back to the practice, and he said, if you listen to me and believe in what I say, we will win the national championship. Kind of a shocking 
statement to say to your team, right? <laughs> they go from throwing chairs to, if you believe in what I say and do as I say, we'll win a national championship. And so he went down the line to a man and said, do you believe in me? Do you believe in us? Do you believe that we'll win the national championship? And he wouldn't move on until you said yes. And so he said, all right, after everyone agreed, I got a new plan. We're going to reinvent ourselves. You have to be malleable and you have to move on, move on to the next play. So we are, we're going to become the most, we, we, you know, I think so, we might still have the record for made three pointers in a year. Maybe, maybe not anymore, but for, for literally 10, 15 years, we had the record for the most threes. And he said, look, we are going to totally reinvent who we are. We are going to try to shoot 63s against North Carolina. 60. He said that. He said, we're going to shoot 63. And we're all just like, what? So the first drill he did, he said, okay, put five minutes on the clock. How many threes can we make? And so, you know, we made like something like 300, 400, three, whatever it was. And he said, oh, that's a good number. All right, put five more minutes on. We got to beat that score. We're not leaving until we beat that score again. And so he's like, this is, this is how we're playing. If you miss, I don't care. Shoot it again. If you miss, shoot it again. If you miss, shoot it. So we were just going to try to blitz them as, as many three-point shots as we could. I mean, Coach K was way more analytically inclined uh, than anybody else at the time. You know, he'll never say he was, he was analytics. That's analytics. One of the guys reigning threes from the perimeter was wing Mike Dunleavy. He talked about the genius of how Coach K approached remaking the Blue Devils minus Boozer. You know, I think – when you're preparing to, to be without Carlos, uh, we, um, you know, you're thinking in your own mind and everybody had their own ideas of, okay, you know, so-and-so Matt Christensen's got to step up. Casey Sanders has got to step up, you know, these different, you know, you, you think immediately just plug in somebody else. And, um, you know, I just remember coach in the locker room just had, he had a plan in mind that was, he was so resolute and, and confident in, and his idea was, let, let's not look at it like we got to trade one big guy for another. Let's look at it like we're going to play a, a new way, a different style. We're going to play fast, and we're going to shoot a lot of three, even more threes than we have. And we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of overwhelm teams with with speed and pace. And um, he kind of presented this new battle plan to us in, in practice or in in, in, a, in a film session leading up to practice, and it just instilled this amount of confidence uh, in, in our in our team. Uh, that, that only he could have done. Again and again, I heard from members of the 2001 Duke team that they were stunned by Coach K's confidence in this moment of crisis. Again, here's J.D. Simpson. Coach K walks into our locker room and looks at each of us. He's really calm and says, if you do what I tell you to do, we will win the national championship. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, like this guy came in and has the confidence enough to say, if you do what I tell you to, you'll win the national championship. I didn't not believe him. I was just like, all right, well, like, let's just do what you tell us to do. Do you know what I mean? Like it, but in, in retrospect, looking back on, you know, the, the leadership that he showed at that time, by the way, he was right. Um, so uh, that makes the story even better. Um, but that capability to have the confidence to come in and say, listen, something as really as bad has happened. 
But if you listen to me, do what I say we're going to do, despite this really bad thing, you're going to do the best thing, right? Which is win a national championship. And I, I, to this day, I'm still floored at, at that leadership. And, you know, we, we still had to do what he said to do, but you know, it all worked out in the end. So, I mean, that, that's the, the story to me that stands out the most of that year was that practice, the beginning of that practice, right? All-American Jay Williams was among the Blue Devils who were unsure what the team would do when Boozer got hurt, but he got excited as Coach K laid out the new plan. So for us, when we lost him, when we lost that game, oh, another defeated moment against that team. And I remember coming to our locker room, I mean, feeling like somebody had died. I mean, I felt like our whole season was done. We were done. And it wasn't that I had lack of faith in, in Casey Sanders or Nick Horvath, but Boo's offensively was just different than those guys. He was way more advanced than those guys at that stage. Um, obviously, he went on to have a stellar NBA career, right? Um, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I remember being in our seat. So fascinating to hear how all the other guys think about this. And I remember my head was down and I mean, we were all in shock, like hysteria, just like shock, like, and I remember Coach K, we came in, we were sitting there and Coach K walks in and says, if you motherfuckers listen to me, we're gonna win a national championship. And me being- That's a powerful message. Me being like, What is going on right now? Really? So I was a little bit, I was a little bit scared. I got to be honest with you. I, you know, I'm not a, I don't have a brilliant offensive mind to produce a plan like that to help you win a championship after you lose your best big. But I mean, after that moment, when he told us to plan, I was like, oh, this is about to be fun. Damn, I just went from like here to here. Now you're telling me we're just going to shoot as many threes as possible? We're just going to let it fly? And we're going to play fast? Okay. Who's going to say no to that? I mean, I'm looking at myself. I'm like, wait, we got Shane can shoot. Dunleavy can shoot. Nate can shoot. Chris can shoot. And then we have Casey and Nick who are just going to run hard and set screens and roll hard all the time. Oh, my God. Sign me up. Great. And we can't reflect on all of this without hearing from Carlos himself again. He remembers how the team changed when Coach K made Casey Sanders the new starting center. Damn, is Coach K a hell of a coach or what? The biggest thing that Coach did was he changed the dynamic of our team by starting Casey Sanders. And what he did was he made our team play like the Phoenix Suns. So instead of us like coming down, executing X and O's in the half court, we're starting to go like this. We're just going to play fast and make you keep up with us because we're in great shape. We do this all day long in practice. And Casey, like I told you in the very beginning, Casey's a seven-footer who can run like a guard. So he's going to put pressure on the rim. He jumps above the rim, catches lives all the time. And so Coach K changed our dynamic of our offense from a half-court, grind-it-out type of game to a get-up-and-down and see if you can keep up with us. Put your track shoes on. 
like the Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash and Amari Sotomayor and Sean Marion. So he brought that style to college basketball with our team, and we did great. Okay, you just heard Carlos talk about the speed that Casey Sanders brought to the team. Casey himself recalls the excitement over his new expanded role. Coach after the game wasn't really down. Would I say he was concerned? Yeah, I think he was concerned, but the attitude that he pervaded to the team was, hey, look, we got this. Brought me into his office and said, hey, Casey, look, I need you to do only two things. I need you to run and I need you to defend. He's like, you do both of those and we are going to succeed. Can you do that? And in my mind, I'm like, my God, yes. Because those are the things that I do better than most people. Honestly, you know, I don't want to talk against any teammate, but I absolutely at the time thought I was a better defender than Carlos. I just was a better protecting of the bucket. Also that freed up from a offensive standpoint, the other guys, because they knew that they didn't really have to have the pressure of giving me the ball. Whereas Carlos, you mean, you get, and you get Carlos the ball because he finished. You know oh, yeah. he oh, yeah. Like he's not, you can't be out there and not give Carlos the ball because that's hurting us, but not giving me the ball. That's that uh, honesty in my game at that time. Not so much. You, you'd be better off shooting the ball. And I knew it and I was comfortable with it. And my God, I was just so freaking tickled to be a part of this thing in a way in which I always wanted to be more a part of it. And so when coach said that to me, I really took it to heart. I really so, started to prepare myself mentally for what was ahead. So again, after this practice, he brought me to the side. He said, how do you, what do you think? I told him I was ready. He says, okay, well, this is what we need to do. And the reason he did this was because he and Wojo <laughs> stood after practice and coach took off and me and Wojo were there and they were making me run wind sprints. Now, my God, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> it was the first thought in my mind uh, immediately, but because of what coach just so told me and what we just talked about, about he's going to make me do these wind sprints. Coach was like, I'm going to make you do, you know, wind sprints and, and get you into shape. You need to get into better game shape. This is not a punishment. And when he said that to me, I did, those were <laughs> probably the, the most joyous wind sprints you could do considering the circumstance that the purpose of it is to get you as tired as possible and then have you recover and then do it to you again. And I must've spent a good 30 minutes to 20 minutes after practice, just doing these and doing free throws. And then me and Wojo got together and we had a conversation about how he believed in me and, and did I understand everything that the coach was asking of me. But replacing the injured boozer with Casey Sanders wasn't the only change that Duke made. Coach K also shocked everyone by removing senior co-captain Nate James from the starting lineup and inserting freshman Chris Duhon. Most players would be thrilled at the prospect of being elevated to a starter, but Duhon was hesitant. Nate James had been in the program for five years. He was a role model and a team leader. Chris told me he thought benching Nate was just plain wrong. And then he said, we're going to make this, you know, change in the starting lineup. It's like, you know, Chris, you're going to start for Nate. And, uh, you know, he was like, Nate, you know, do you have a problem with that? And Nate's like, no. And then Chris, you have a problem with that? And I'm like, I'm like no, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, internally, I'm like, oh, that's kind of that's fucked up because it's it's Nate. This is a senior. Like I know he's worked his butt off. Like he's you know important to the team, things like that. So you know, after that, we you know we have practice. We get kicked out. And he's like, you guys are not believing, you know, you know, things like that. You don't believe, you're not believing. Don't come back until you're believing that we're going to go and win this. So, you know, we have our team meeting and <clears throat> we have practice again that afternoon. And, you know, it was better. Uh, but for me, I was still kind of going through the motions in a way because I'm still thinking about Nate. Um, and, you know, it kind of took Nate. You know, after that practice, we're walking off. Nate comes and he puts his arm on me, around me. He's like, "Look, man, hey, I'm okay. Like, don't worry about me. I need you to, you know, be who you are. Like, you know, trusting what coach is saying. Like, don't worry about me. Like, we're gonna be all right. We're gonna win this thing. So, getting that reassurance from him took a huge weight off of my shoulder and it allowed me to just kind of, all right, let's go out and play and you know, and go and try to win this thing. As for Nate James, he recalls telling Duhan it would be fine. Nate wasn't interested in individual goals. He wasn't interested in whether or not he was starting. He was all about making sure that the team succeeded. Carlos Boozer goes out, you know, late in the year, you know, with the foot injury. And we're going to put Duhan in the starting lineup. And he's looking at me like, holy crap, you know, a guy that he looks up to. Um, how, how am I going to feel about that? I go to him, like, dude, like, I'm good, man. Like, I came to, to, to Duke to win a national championship, buddy. Like, you be ready to rock. Come on, I got you. Um, for me, it not much changed. You know, I, I think just for me as an individual, always thought, you know, big picture. Um, I knew I wasn't playing well, first and foremost, you know, I was, I, I knew I needed to get better, you know, um, I was in a shooting slump, um, my average, you know, I was one of them things where it, it average was going in the wrong direction, you know, it was 15 points, 14 points, 13, 12, I'm like, oh my God, fellas, like I'm, I'm, I really suck right now, you know, and just trying to get back to, to, to really, uh, playing at a level uh, and regaining my confidence so I can in turn, you know, be the leader that I've, all, I've always been and, and and help, you know, my teammates. I knew, you know, as a, as a fifth year senior, you know, this is it. Like the, the sand is running out of the hourglass. So, you know, let's just let's focus on winning. And for me, like I said, I, I had to do that and make sure that my guys were ready to go. And ready to go they were. Up next was the hated UNC Tar Heels one of the biggest teams in the land. More on that when Return to Glory continues. Welcome back to Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devils. On our next episode, the new look Duke takes on North Carolina. We started uh, Casey Sanders that game, and he was my personal screener. And Coach K said, Casey, I don't care where Shane is on the court. 
you go screen for him. Which is like crazy, right? I, was like, I never had a personal screener before. So Casey's job, his only job was to get me open. I remember second half, four or five minutes into the second half, looking at Brendan Haywood and Chris Lang bent over with their hands on their knees. And I remember Chris Lang just had this. <gasps> I just remember vividly like Reggie front team, Brendan Hayward in the post and, you know, Reggie's 6'5 and this guy's 6'11 and, and Brendan Hayward just couldn't get post position. The story of how a pair of little regarded reserves suddenly became Duke heroes. Next time on Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devil National Champions. Return to Glory is written, produced, and hosted by me, Jason Evans. But this never would have happened without the generous help of many others. I want to thank everyone on the 2001 team for sharing their time with me. I also want to thank a crew of Duke fans who helped me with transcribing the interviews. Eric Smithers, Kristen Stetler, John Carden, Kathy Meredith, Kenji Kojima, and Timothy Casper. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening in. I hope you're enjoying this half as much as I am. Reach out to the Duke Basketball Report podcast anytime by emailing dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to the DBR podcast so you never miss an episode. I'll see you next time on Return to Glory.